Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit might incline each mind and each heart and my mind and tongue as we unveil truths that each of us need. In Jesus' name, amen. I was asked to speak not about Weimar tonight, but about vacation centers of influence, which actually has to do uh, with uh, my family's personal uh, life uh, story in regards to uh, what happened a few months ago. And uh, this um, uh, story was, uh, came out and then I was asked to actually uh, speak about it. A little bit of the history of this uh, family story uh, comes from the pen of Ellen White. She says, if Christians were to act in how? Concert. In concert, moving forward as what? One. one, under the direction of one power for the accomplishment of one purpose, they would move the world. She goes on to say, the call to be given in the highways is to be proclaimed to all who have an active part in the world's work to the teachers and leaders of the people. Those who bear heavy responsibilities in public life, physicians, teachers, lawyers, judges, public officers, businessmen, should be given a clear, distinct message. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So she talks particularly in this context of the need to give this message on the highways to the, what we would uh, consider uh, the upper echelon of society, the leaders in society. She goes on to say, we talk and write much of the neglected poor. Should not some attention be given also to the neglected rich? What does she call the rich? Neglected. neglected. Many look upon this class as hopeless and they do little to open the eyes of those who blinded and dazed by the power of Satan have lost eternity out of their reckoning. Thousands of wealthy men have gone to their graves unwarned because they have been judged by appearance and passed by as hopeless subjects. Often we talk in our churches of those who are disadvantaged being judged by appearance. But sometimes there's a greater tendency to judge those of wealth by appearance as hopeless and not be worthy of going out of our way to try to affect them because we think they are unaffectable. She says, but indifferent as they may appear, I have been shown. Now, whenever she says that, you need to uh, take it very seriously. I have been shown that most of this class are soul burdened. There are thousands of rich men who are starving for spiritual food. So if you take a person of the upper echelons of society, the rich, and by the way, they've been under attack in our society uh, in many ways. Uh, but if you take this particular group, she says she has been shown that the majority, most means the majority, the majority of this class are soul burdened and they are starving for spiritual food. Many in official life feel their need of something which they have not. Few among them go to church. 
for they feel that they receive no benefit. The teaching they hear does not touch the soul. Shall we make no personal effort in their behalf? Some will ask, can we not reach them with publications? And so often publications, and of course the term that would be utilized today, probably in a more major way than publications, but it fits under the same category, would be media. Thinking that this is the group that we need to reach with media and with publications, we can't get into their home, but somehow if the media does, maybe they can be affected. She says there are many who cannot be reached in this way. And by the way, when it comes to television, it's very clear that this group does not watch very much at all. They're not, uh, they're not gonna be watching Hope or 3ABN or virtually any other programs on TV. Uh, they've gotten their riches not by sitting in front of their television set. <laughs> uh, and uh, so this is something that they've learned early on uh, often is, uh, is the problems with that. And so um, uh, they're not necessarily going to um, uh, sit there and vegetate and channel flip. But she says it is what type of effort that they need? Personal effort. There are many who are represented to me as being like Cornelius, men whom God desires to connect with his church. Cornelius, if you remember, was a wealthy individual, a ruler of many, very well respected in his society, but yet one who was one to the Lord Jesus and to the gospel. So she says there's many like him out there. Their sympathies are with the Lord's commandment-keeping people. But the threads that bind them to the world hold them, how? Firmly. They have not the moral courage to take their position with the lowly ones. And those are the lowly ones that have the truth of the gospel. She says, we are to make special efforts for these souls who are in need of special labor because of their responsibilities and temptations. So it's going to require special effort to reach this group. Not the usual methods. We're told in other places that this is not the group that tends to come to evangelistic series in your local area. Why don't they come? They might be interested. When they see the brochure, they might actually be interested in some of those topics, but if they're the very wealthy, they are going to be recognized, and they don't want to be reported as being at that meeting when they're not sure whether they're going to agree or disagree with what's being said. And so they stay away. Uh, they're, uh, they're not uh, reached by the usual publications, by the usual media, as we have already uh, talked about. But they are reached through special efforts. Now, when I was coming across this council, and by the way, some of this council was introduced to me by the president of AMEN. I don't know if your talk, uh, Phil, is, uh, is on Audioverse, but he has a special talk that's much more detailed than what I'm giving you tonight on how to reach the rich. Uh, and so I had heard uh, some aspects of that talk. And, uh, and so that was in the back of my mind uh, in regards to this story that I'm going to tell you tonight. But also, being president of Weimar, I noticed driving from one small town to another in California I would see a large Adventist church 
every town in California has a, a fairly sizable Adventist church that's much larger than it is in other towns in North America uh, by virtue of the, of the size of the town. And of course, California is the most concentrated place for Seventh-day Adventists in our division or in America. And I asked the question, why is California so concentrated? I had to research this myself because most of the Californians are fifth and sixth generation and they have no clue as to why it's, <laughs> it's that concentrated. Uh, and so uh, I began to do some uh, research myself on this and found out that it happened really in the 1890s and 1900s. And it happened as a result of large tents being erected in prominent places in every one of these towns. These large tents would be well advertised. Everyone in the town would know that there was a grand event getting ready to take place. And that grand event was just three meetings long. That's all it was. The first meeting was on the second coming of Christ. And uh, it was an exciting meeting. Uh, there was fervor, there was biblical evidence, uh, and uh, that was presented with an appeal to be ready for Jesus to come. The second meeting was on law and grace. We might call this the pure gospel. But truth combined with love was really what that uh, meeting uh, was about. And then the third meeting was on the seventh day Sabbath. And that was it. The tent was taken down and taken to another city. Now, uh, what uh, uh, happened is that Bible workers would stay in that town to follow up the interest. And the Bible workers would then fill in some other biblical truths, such as the sanctuary doctrine, uh, such as the prophecy, uh, etc. And uh, those Bible workers would then reap the uh, souls afterwards. And uh, that's how uh, Adventism grew by leaps and bounds in uh, California. And so uh, when I was uh, recognizing this, uh, this fact, I had a desire to reach people, particularly uh, those that I knew and those that I didn't know with those three truths. And by the way, our term, our name Seventh-day Adventist pretty much says that. <laughs> I mean, if you believe in the Seventh-day Sabbath, and if you believe in the gospel of Christ and the second coming of Christ, you're pretty much a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, you know, there's a few other details in there that, uh, that enhance those aspects of things, but in reality, uh, that's uh, what you are. So uh, how this Vacation Center of Influence came about, uh, we only had one week of vacation for our family per year. And I have four boys. And we quickly learned that the boys love the winter sports. And so what seemed to be the best was skiing in Colorado. And so we would ski in different resorts in Colorado. We would choose a different one every year. We've ended up skiing many of the major ski resorts in Colorado. And by the way, because of my um, uh, speaking in many places throughout the world, my boys do not have a desire to travel, per se. I would often take my boys and my wife with me uh, on traveling, and uh, it, because I traveled so much, when we were getting ready to go, it would be, do we really have to go? 
do we really have to go to Hope Canada? And uh, there would be some, uh, some uh, obvious disdain sometimes because they wanted to stay home. Now, they were raised in Oklahoma. And what I would often tell them is, you know, uh, I think when you get there uh, that you're going to be very glad that you came. And uh, often, many of these places we would go, within a few days, they'd say, Dad, can we move here? Uh, and so uh, they, would, uh, they would like the surroundings, et cetera. But just the constant on-the-go aspect of things uh, would tend to uh, wear on them. And the other aspect of things is there wasn't a whole lot for them to do, necessarily. They might, if it was a camp meeting, they might go to children's meetings. But sometimes it wasn't a camp meeting. And they would just have to hear me speak. And, uh, that uh, uh, after you hear your dad speak multiple times, uh, sometimes uh, you'd rather do some other things. And uh, although my boy this, mor uh, this evening says, I'm not going to the children's meeting tonight, Dad. And, he, and I said, why is that? And he says, that's because you're speaking. <laughs> and I said, so you wa want to hear me speak? He says, yeah, I want to hear what stories you're going to tell. <laughs> so. Uh, the, the younger one is a little separate. He's six years younger than all the rest of them, so uh, he's still brand new on listening to, uh, to his dad speak and is very uh, interested in that still. But uh, eventually, we ended up uh, skiing at Beaver Creek. We found the Bachelor Gulch ski area as part of the Beaver Creek Ski Resort. Ski Resort is just west, west of Vail off I-70, and it's also close to the Vail Eagle uh, Airport. Uh, there. And uh, what we notice particularly at, at this place and, uh, and also at uh, Vail, this is the, uh, the Bachelor Gulch. Um, uh, you can see the, the chairlift there. And there's many places where you can stay, condo units, et cetera, that are ski in, ski out. So you just can uh, come and eat your lunch and, and go out, et cetera. And the boys did like that aspect of things, of being able to uh, go and come, et cetera. So they wanted to come back to this uh, particular place. But what we would notice uh, going there is what we would be uh, riding up the chairlift with you know, the famous Philadelphia Philly pitcher uh, Cliff Lee. We would be riding up the chairlift with the CEO of Amber, Amber Crombie. Uh, things like this, the, the very well-to-do um, individuals in society. And uh, it was a... Uh, um, of course, we would try to get conversations, et cetera, but it was only, you know, about a four-minute ride up the chairlift, and often to break the ice, you weren't able to go right over um, to those, those three particular important aspects. Uh, this is by way, um, the airport between, before Christmas and up to New Year's, you have to reserve your spot to fly into that airport because there are private jets flying in every three minutes um, from around the world uh, there for vacationing uh, time. Uh, I don't have a private jet, I just have a very small single engine private piston airplane called a Bonanza. Uh, but uh, I, uh, uh, I flew in there uh, with our uh, family or some aspects, I should, I don't think the entire family was there because some of them were coming from Weimar and other places. Uh, but uh, you see these private jets opening and families pouring out of the heads of these uh, companies. And you just have a yearning desire to uh, tell them more. 
So I said, sons, what do you think about doing a three-night evangelistic series at the Ritz-Carlton in Beaver Creek on our next vacation? And Alan says, what do you want to talk to him about? And I said, I want to talk to him about the second coming, about the gospel, and I want to talk to them about the seventh-day Sabbath. And he says, uh, Dad, he says, you know, those are great things, but he says, you know, I don't know that you'll get very many people coming if you tell them that that's what you're going to talk about. And I said, so what do you think? I said, they need the message. What do you think? He says, well, he says, you know, you talk about health, and wealthy people are very interested in health. Uh, why don't you utilize a health topic, particularly the brain aspect of things? So it's kind of interesting, my own son telling me what I should, uh, what I should talk about there. And then I re re realized that in Phil Mills' talk that he talked about the rich, he mentioned particularly that she talks about that as a method that they will come. They'll actually come to your own church for a health meeting because they're not fearful of being seen at a, at a chip meeting or some sort of um, meeting that has to do with enhancing their health. Wealthy people have a stronger desire to live longer uh, because they want to enjoy their riches for as long as they possibly can. And uh, so in regards to uh, health um, aspect of things, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, we can talk about those truths under optimize your brain. And so we ended up uh, creating some brochures kind of on the fly on Optimize Your Brain. The first night was how to enhance your IQ. The second night was how to enhance your EQ, your emotional intelligence. And those were the only two nights we advertised. We had some others planned uh, after that. We also checked with the Ritz, and because it was the week of Christmas, they didn't have anyone renting their meeting facilities, and so they gave us a steep discount uh, to have their meeting facilities uh, rented out. And then we had uh, four people come uh, the week before. One of them is here, Lauren Holland with um, the Oak is in the Acorn, um, went uh, the week before with three others. And Lauren, are you here tonight? I don't know if she is. Uh, she's not here tonight. And uh, there were three others that went, and they just went around the town actually telling the people um, that we were holding the meeting. And they also skied for a couple of days and handed out brochures on the... <laughs> on the uh, chairlifts. And then our family uh, arrived a, a day before the meeting was to take place. And what we instructed wasn't just our family. I invited uh, several families. Um, and uh, most of them were from the, um, uh, the Amen group that I know. Uh, but only one of the Amen families accepted my invitation. And there were a couple of other families um, that did uh, come along with us. So there were four families uh, that joined us. And by the way, for those of you that, have, that did not accept my invitation, uh, I'm almost over that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you come this year, I will be completely over it. Uh, but uh, the... Uh, uh, what we planned on doing was instead of going up the chairlifts together, uh, we would all go in the single file lane. And so uh, that way um, you have a group of about three others, normally there's four people on the chairlift, and we were loaded with brochures, and uh, you know, they can't kick you off the chairlift <laughs> once you get on there. And so uh, you have a captive audience for several minutes while you're telling them about the meetings um, that are coming up. 
And so uh, we were able to meet a number of uh, individuals that way and spread out. But of course, we didn't know what kind of results we would get because this is the week of Christmas and people are there with their families, you know. They're there to uh, enjoy their families. They're not there to go to meetings or anything like that. And so who would come uh, to this Optimize Your Brain series? And uh, with that little bit of, of, um, of pre-work, actually there was a couple of other things. The four girls that were there the week before stopped by the TV station, the radio station, and the newspaper. And the TV station, the uh, day we were to start, um, interviewed me as part of their morning news on what we were going to do on Optimize Your Brain. The radio station interviewed us. And many of the people on the chairlifts, we noticed, had stated that they had heard it. Oh, yeah, we heard that on the news. So the news is playing while they're getting dressed uh, for their ski day. And uh, it wouldn't have been enough had it just been the news. But when they heard about it in the brochure and they could see a live person telling about it, those two things came together and the TV and the radio uh, gave it uh, some, uh, some credibility. And so the first night was how to enhance your intelligence. We had a wife of an orthopedic surgeon. I found out later that she was divorced from the orthopedic surgeon, but she had three of her kids that were in high school. And um, she sat them down in the front row and sat herself down in the front row and uh, said, uh, we're coming to this event. We talked to her later. And the reason why is she wanted her kids to get into Ivy League schools and to get scholarship at Ivy League schools. So she was very interested in having them learn how to enhance their IQ. Um, and uh, ended up uh, coming uh, those, uh, those other nights as well. As it turned out, I think in all of our group, we had the very wealthy that were there. We had people with multi-million dollar homes from the local area as well as from uh, areas outside of this country as well as other cities in this country. Uh, and it was quite a mix of people from all over the, the, um, the um, world except for the fact that there was one thing characteristic of everybody that attended and that is they were part of the very wealthy uh, in our society, uh, many of them uh, famously so. And uh, they were uh, very interested. We told them it would only take 90 minutes max, and that would be for questions and answers. And as you'll see, that kind of uh, changed. I'm just going to go over a little bit about, uh, about what uh, I talked about, because it's good for us as well to enhance our IQ. I'm not going to go through the whole presentation. Just the enhance your IQ was, was 90 minutes. I didn't mean for it to be that long, but I saw the significant interest on people's faces. They were really paying attention, and I ended up going into more detail as a result. You know, when people are interested, you want to give them more. And so uh, we gave them a full 90 minutes. Intelligence is your capacity to learn, retain, and apply knowledge, often measured by an IQ test, uh, related somewhat to academic performance. And studies clearly show college graduates' first job after graduation has been found to be directly related to their IQ. How far they advance in that job is not related to their IQ, however. It's related to their EQ, which was the next night's presentation on emotional intelligence. We talked about the advantages of IQ. Uh, this was a long-term study. Uh, that uh, was just uh, published in 2005, 862 men and women. Researchers found that up to the cutoff point of 163, that's a very high IQ, participants' risk of dying during a given period decreased as their IQ increased. 
For example, those with a childhood IQ of 150 had a 44% lower risk of death than those with an IQ of 135. And so IQ is one of those longevity aspects of things. And we got into a couple of reasons uh, for that. And of course, these people are also interested in longevity. Uh, we talked about uh, the frontal lobe of the brain being the center of spirituality, morality, and the will, the analytical portion of the brain, and how when the frontal lobe is compromised, not only does IQ go down, but there's an impairment of moral principle, a social impairment, lack of foresight, abstract reasoning impaired, mathematical understanding diminished, loss of empathy, uh, lack of restraint occurs as well. And then how the frontal lobe can go down by illegal drugs as well as legal drugs. We talked about the effects of alcohol suppressing the frontal lobe. And these studies that show that once alcohol adversely affects the frontal lobe, it just can take a drink to do that. It takes two weeks for the real disciplined thinking, analytical thinking in the frontal lobe to return. You can drive a car the next day because it doesn't require critical abstract thinking to drive a car. That's why we allow 16-year-olds to do it in this country. Uh, but it does uh, require uh, significant disciplined thinking for these higher forms of math, et cetera. So alcohol and abstinence is the best way as far as IQ. Nicotine suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain to a more subtle degree. But also caffeine has its role to play. We talked about how even quarterbacks in the NFL are now told to consume no caffeine. The linemen are told to load up on it. Seems pretty unfair, doesn't it? Uh, because those linemen are trying to tackle the quarterback and the quarterback doesn't have that stimulation on board. I think maybe even the line coaches will, uh, will figure it out because I've noticed sometimes the quarterback will just make a little tiny step to the side and those linemen go flying. They have no breaks whatsoever. Uh, but. Uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, caffeine has its role to play. It blocks the adenosine receptors in the frontal lobe. Pavlov studied it. Ca caffeine users can type a little bit faster, but they make 10 times as many errors. Of course, it causes physical problems such as heartburn, indigestion, tachycardia, palpitations. It's a co-carcinogen, meaning if there's other carcinogens around, it increases the risk. Uh, studies show you're actually more likely to gossip when it's on board. The definition of gossip in that study was sharing private information with someone who's not part of the problem or part of the solution to the problem. It increases irritability, but many people assume it's necessary in their case. Why is it necessary? Because they feel like an absolute zombie and they don't have energy without it. This study was done recently. Caffeine addiction is such a downer that regular coffee drinkers actually get no real pick-me-up from their morning habit. What? They all think they do. Bristol University researchers found that caffeine beverage drinkers develop a tolerance to both the anxiety producing and the stimulating effects of caffeine, meaning that it only brings them back to the baseline levels of alertness, not above them. This was a prospective placebo-controlled trial on 379 adults. Although frequent consumers feel alerted by caffeine, especially by their morning tea, coffee, or other caffeine-containing drink, evidence indicates that this is actually merely the reversal of the fatiguing effects of acute caffeine withdrawal, wrote the scientists at Peter Rogers Bristol University's Department of Experimental Psychology. Measurements showed that the caffeine users' post-caffeine levels of alertness were actually no higher than the non-caffeine consumers who received a placebo. 
suggesting caffeine only brings coffee drinkers back up to normal. So what is this saying? All the reported benefits of caffeine are present virtually all day, only in those who don't consume it. <laughs> and so if you want the benefits of caffeine throughout the entire day, don't consume it, and you'll actually get those benefits. <laughs> this was neuropsychopharmacology, June 2, 2010. Then we talked about the role of nutrition in the superior diet, some of the advantages of the plant-based diet, you get more tryptophan into the brain, more uh, tyrosine, et cetera. This was a large study on kids, three, four, seven, and eight and a half, eight and a half year olds. Of course, this was just done in America, uh, and it was just broke them up into five different groups. It would have been more impressive if they broke them up otherwise. But we went through some of the environmental things that affect IQ, such as these things. All of those things were controlled, such as maternal education, maternal social class, whether they lived in council housing, life events, anything going wrong, home environment. The 20% with the highest processed diet, in other words, higher in fats and sugars, had a five-point lower IQ compared to the 20% who ate more health-conscious diet with most fruits, vegetables, salad, pasta, rice. Five points can make a significant difference in your IQ. It can be the difference between getting into an Ivy League school scholarship and not getting into that. And so you think five isn't a lot, but it's a half of a standard deviation, and that is a, uh, a significant amount. Then there's also a, the reverse being true. This study was done in Great Britain. Children with high IQs are more likely to become vegetarians when they grow up. So not only does being vegetarian help your IQ, but if you have a high IQ, you're more likely to become. Study of more than 8,000 men and women, age 30, whose IQs have been measured when they were 10, show that the higher the IQ, the greater the odds of becoming a vegetarian. For each 15-point rise in IQ in the study, the likelihood of becoming a vegetarian rose by 38%. Even after adjusting to factors such as social class, education, the link was still consistent. Uh, there's been an article written uh, recently in the Wall Street Journal and other places showing that there is a significant fad going on among the very wealthy and that is they're becoming vegetarian at a much higher rate. And of course, some of those people were already vegetarian that were coming to our meeting among the very um, wealthy. And so I told them, you know, often when, you're, um, when people realize when you go to a restaurant to eat with them that you're a vegetarian, they're asking the reason why. And I said, now as a result of this study, if you don't have much time, you can just give them the simple two-word answer, high IQ. <laughs> Then uh, we talked about physical exercise uh, and its um, role in regards to mental uh, performance. And also did this um, aspect of physical exercise. Working with one's own hands in a real world 3D environment is imperative for full cognitive and intellectual development. So it's not only the physical exercise with the legs, but it's actually working with the hands that also helps. With woodwork, metalwork, craft, music, car mechanic classes dropped by many schools and children wanting to play computer games at home, the Western world is becoming a software instead of a screwdriver society. Research is showing that increasing time spent in the virtual world of computers is displacing hands-on play and hands-on learning. 3D learning allows young people to experience how the world works in practice, to gain an understanding of materials and processes, and to make informed judgments about abstract concepts. 
And one of the things that helps the frontal lobe, it turns out it doesn't have to be necessarily well thought out things, even mundane things like washing the dishes vigorously actually enhances frontal lobe function because the hand circulation in the, in the frontal lobe of the brain, that's the, the posterior aspect of the frontal lobe of the brain, also enhances circulation in the front portion of the brain as well. One of the advantages of gardening, uh, et cetera, is actually in helping in frontal lobe function. So this is one of the reasons why at Weimar I told them uh, practical physical labor is one of the requirements. We have the, the core of four at Weimar. You can learn more about it at our table. But one of those core of four is practical physical labor an important aspect of that. Then I told them things that some of them already knew, such as the adverse effects of television, increasing daydreaming, decreasing creative ingenuity, decreasing interest in reading, interest in learning, reduces discernment, also addictive and reduces sensitivity. Now I told them this is entertainment television, of course that's the rapid scene of reference TV where the average scene of reference changes every three to five seconds. Uh, educational TV such as C-SPAN does not have that effect uh, and uh, uh, where it has that slower scene of, uh, of reference uh, change. Also increases violence. This was a study published not long ago. The more TV adolescents watch, the more likely they are to develop attention and learning problems and do poorly in school in the long run. The amount of TV kids watched when they were 14 was positively linked with having attention problems later not doing homework, being bored at school, not finishing high school, and hating school, the researchers found. 14-year-olds who added one more daily hour of TV doubled their risk of academic failure at age 16. Then this recent study, focusing on entertainment screen time in general. Entertainment screen time, whether it's video games or other even entertainment internet, does suppress the frontal lobe. This was an interesting study published in Australia compared with adults who watched less than two hours of TV a day. Those who watched more than four hours had a 46% higher risk of death from all causes, 80% higher risk of cardiovascular death during six years. Each hour spent sitting in front of the TV per day raised a person's risk of death from cardiovascular disease by 18% and the risk of cancer by 9%. Now this was, uh, got a lot of publicity because people thought maybe this is just sitting, but it wasn't sitting. The pattern held even after the researchers took into account education level, overall health of the participants, their age, whether they smoke, their cholesterol, blood pressure, and even how much they exercise. Exercise doesn't necessarily make up for the long sessions in front of the tube. Dunstan and his colleagues figured into their analysis how much the study participants exercised when they compared groups of adults who exercised the same amount but watched varying amounts of TV. Those who watched more TV were still at a higher risk of dying during the study. Reading or doing homework doesn't, uh, is not associated with cancer or heart disease. And of course, that's a sitting type of exercise as well. And so they say it's not really the sedentary behavior, but more likely something inherent about TV viewing. What is being discovered in the last year is that basically whatever suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain increases your risk of disease. It decreases your immune system in multiple ways, et cetera. And so whatever that frontal lobe uh, detraction is, it is uh, playing a role not only in the brain, but also in longevity. We covered sleep time. Circadian rhythms, the early to bed, early to rise. I told my own story, you know, this is, of course, the best way of getting melatonin is early to bed, early to rise. 
how when I change my schedule from 11.30 going to bed to 9 p.m. going to bed, which I did between my freshman and sophomore years of pre-med, uh, I took a much harder classes my sophomore year. I took organic chemistry, physics for scientists and engineers, foundations of biology, and quantitative analysis. All morning was spent in classes, and every afternoon was spent in labs, and I still had to work in the evening. And uh, how by changing my bedtime to 9 p.m. Uh, and getting up early, my GPA was far better than my freshman year. It went to a 4.0 at that point with all of those subjects. And now we know the advantages of melatonin in regards to remembering what you learned that day and the advantages of early to bed, early to rise. Ellen White said sleep is worth far more before than after midnight. Two hours good sleep before 12 o'clock worth more than four hours after 12 o'clock. That's how I happened to change was that quote. The research on melatonin hadn't come out yet. Then we went into chronobiology, the circus septin rhythm or weekly cycle. There are seven-day rhythms in humans. In blood pressure, acid content in the blood, the red blood cell numbers, the heart rate, oral temperature, female breast temperature, urine chemistry and volume, the ratio between norepinephrine and epinephrine, and the rise and fall of several body chemicals such as cortisol. This seven-day rhythm is not only present in humans, it's also present in animals, and there's a seven-day rhythm also present in plants. We didn't used to realize this until we started doing computer analysis, but when you graph um, whatever the function is of a plant or an animal over a long period of time, you start seeing a sine wave that's seven days. And so the computer analysis is what revealed this. It's a new research in biology called chronobiology. Swelling after surgery, a person will tend to have an increase in swelling on the seventh day, then the 14th day after surgery. Similarly, a person with a kidney transplant is more likely to reject the organ seven days and then 14 days after surgery. The transplant immunologists are aware of that. They often adjust the medicines in time uh, for this. I mentioned to them the seven-day cycle and how it's attempted to be tampered with. Uh, the French Revolution went into a 10-day week. You ever wonder why we don't have a 10-day week? Uh, why the French put everything in tens except the week? They actually tried the week, too. It was a 10-day week. There were 10 hours per day, 100 minutes per hour, and 100 seconds per minute. It was instituted by force during the French Revolution over the course of years. Religious institutions were not allowed to hold worship services except once every 10 days. And if you wore your best clothes on the seventh day instead of the tenth day, you were actually arrested. It was, um, it was quite a tyrannical regime of the French Revolution. What happened to the society? The mental institutions filled up to capacity, and all sorts of chaos resulted, and it was the mathematician Laplace who then instituted, uh, suggested going back to the seven-day week. The Bolsheviks uh, in uh, Russia, Stalin, went to a five-day week. He said the, the French people got it wrong. It was too long. We're going to improve upon the seven-day week. We're going to go to a five-day week. And uh, so they went to a five-day week to increase efficiency, et cetera. Efficiencies went way down, and uh, it was a utter chaos again, and Stalin himself had to reinstitute the seven-day week despite his atheistic um, longings uh, and desires. I then told about my father. My father um, 
was an engineer getting his master's en engineering while working at Douglas Aircraft. And uh, his only time to study was Saturdays. But uh, he began to attend a series of meetings. He wanted to learn more about the Bible. In fact, uh, he was going to a different church every Sunday to try to um, uh, get a church that was going to study the Bible. And he would tell the pastor of the church that he wanted to learn more about the Bible. And most of the pastors that he was visiting in California said, you really don't want to get too close to that book. And uh, would discourage him from, uh, from learning more about it. But he was insistent on trying to learn as much as he could about the Bible. And uh, he went to, uh, the, well, Saturday night is when he would look at the uh, ads for the uh, Sunday worship services. And he saw one that was going to be taking place on Sunday night on the Sabbath question. And he thought, well, that's probably about the Bible. Maybe I'll go to that. And he learned more about the Bible that night than he had ever learned, except he was um, disappointed that these people didn't know about the calendar change. He recognized they were promoting the Seventh-day Sabbath. And he thought, boy, these people don't realize the Seventh-day Sabbath is Sunday. They don't know about the calendar change. And right then, a slide came out about the calendar change. And it showed how it didn't change the days of the week. And he said, boy, these people have done their homework. This is pretty amazing. And he started studying the Bible more and becoming convicted. And he decided he was going to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. And he told his engineering friends who were in his study group he was no longer going to study with them on Sabbath. And he, they said, you're going to sabotage yourself. This is your only day to study. You're not going to make it through engineering school. These are tough classes. And he said, I've decided I'm going to obey God and leave the consequences with him. And leaving out his entire study day on Sabbath and just attending evening classes, it was night classes, his grades raised to the top in the class. Uh, and that Sabbath keeping day of no study, he directly attributed to his improvement in his um, IQ and his capacity. There have been studies indicating that Sabbath keepers are more highly educated than the general population. And by the way, in this country, are there more Sabbath keepers or Sunday keepers? There's actually more Sabbath keepers. There are more people who go to church on Sunday. But uh, a very stark minority actually keep the day holy, uh, per se. And so when you actually get into the keeping of the day, there's actually more Sabbath keepers than Sunday keepers. Uh, Sabbath keepers, even though they've refused to work on Sabbath, have higher incomes than the general population. And there's studies showing that they have higher IQ than the uh, non-Sabbath keepers. No studies have been done at, at, to date in regards to EQ. And then uh, I looked at this study, are there advantages of the seventh day? Certainly it's better to pause one day in seven than not to pause. I mentioned to them it's better to sleep seven or eight hours than not to sleep, even though there's a better time to sleep. And so the same is true. It's better to rest one day in seven than not at all. Most conclude, however, that any day will do, just like most conclude any time of sleep <laughs> will do, per se. This study was done at a, um, uh, the Journal of uh, Personality and Social Psychology, looking at an 80-day period of people. And they noticed the mood was in a seven-day sine wave cycle. And what was interesting about this it appears there is a strong weekly rhythm in day-to-day -day mood. This pattern shows a peak around when? Friday. Friday night and Saturday, and a trough around Monday or Tuesday. And so the, the actual peak uh, occurs there during Sabbath hours. Uh, and by the way, this is whether you keep the Sabbath or not, there seems to be that peak 
Um, I just learned later this or earlier this week on media, the time when people watch the least amount of TV in America, which night is it? Friday night. Why do they watch the least TV? If you're in a good mood, you don't want to watch TV. And, and so uh, in reality, uh, that's one of the reasons why Friday night is the lowest TV night uh, uh, on the week. But uh, the Bible says, and this was the quote that I gave them, the, uh, I only quoted two Bible texts during this first presentation, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then I went into music and its role, how it enters the brain through its temporal lobes and limbic system and has an effect in regards to IQ. I went through some of the studies on IQ and the characteristics of brains optimizing music, where it's melodious music, it can be simple yet attractive, beautiful non-dissident harmonies, straight rhythms instead of syncopated rhythms, the march rhythms of course would work as straight rhythms and the rhythm less prominent than the melody and the harmony and it's best if the music tells a story, if you can imagine a scene as a result of the music uh, that's there. And we went into some uh, examples in regards of that. Of course, um, the music that tends to promote this highest form is uh, traditional classical music where a lot of our hymns are derived from. This is a picture I took myself of the Dallas Symphony. Sold out 12 nights in a row. Um, at Christmas time without any advertising. Uh, and. Uh, uh, the highest type price tickets are at that time as well. There's been a resurrection of classical music in, in America today um, as a result of some of these studies showing its significant uh, uh, benefit. So I ask them, just like I ask you tonight, do you want to be more intelligent? Do you want to be more analytical? Do you want to make better decisions, have a greater capacity to empathize with others, have better discernment, have a greater ability to see into the future? Do you have a, want to have a greater ability to overcome an addiction that requires the frontal lobe as well? Do you want to have a greater power to follow your conscience? And if you answer yes to any of these, I would review your life. And, uh, and you, you know, well, of course, only you can review your life uh, and uh, see what you can change in a habitual way to increase the capacity of your brain. Proverbs says, for wisdom is better than rubies and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. So if you have the opportunity for more riches or more wisdom, what should you choose? Wisdom every time, far more important. Night two, I went into how to improve your EQ. And basically, I'm just gonna summarize this in one slide, get rid of your distorted thoughts. We went, went through the 10 different ways of distorted thinking. We quoted the Bible more extensively, particularly stories of the Bible. They were great in illustrating the distorted thoughts and the correct thoughts and illustrating cognitive behavioral therapy so they could see the Bible as a case book that was interesting. Elevated truth, truth means non-distorted thoughts, and grace, altruistic love, what we would call agape in the studies on that, and showed them how emotional intelligence can be improved. So I really had the reverse of what was done in California. The first night was the Sabbath. The second night was law and grace. Uh, the third night was nutrition in the brain. And for this, we didn't rent the Ritz. They didn't allow us to do food in the Ritz unless they did it. And so uh, we invited them over to our home uh, that we were renting with the four families. And uh, the first night, I think we had uh, 50 individuals come. The second night, I think we were around 60. 
And out of those, we, they were in the 20s that actually came to our own home uh, to, uh, uh, to taste the food and to undergo a little cooking school and get a little lecture on nutrition in the brain. And that's when we got to know them and be able to communicate with them and uh, realize that the man from Dubai was a multi-millionaire builder over there who he was meeting up with his son in Houston and they had met at Beaver Creek. Um, and both the son and the father came. The son had just had a conversion experience in Houston, not a Seventh-day Adventist, but was trying to explain um, spiritual things to the father who had no desire for the spiritual things whatsoever until he came to our meeting on increasing the IQ. So the son was very grateful in regards to what his father had learned and his father wanted all of our material so he could read it on the way back to uh, Dubai. And the son was very glad for me to give him a DVD on all of the Doug Batchelor um, evangelistic uh, series uh, things there. And he was going to uh, study that on his way back to Houston and was very uh, grateful for that. We began to get connected with a lot of uh, the people there. One was a famous author in the area who was very fascinated uh, with the material. And uh, there are some things, you know, just doing it the first time that we would have done differently. Uh, it turns out, although we thought one of the girls was collecting names and emails on registration, we didn't have that. But we finally realized at the cooking school we didn't have it, and if they wanted those recipes, they could give us the names and emails. Um, Patty and Todd Guthrie were, was the one family from Amen who went along with us, and Patty uh, has those emails and has been uh, communicating some and passing that along. Night four, if you remember, the week of Christmas last year was Christmas Eve, Friday night, Christmas Eve. And after night three, this was the Thursday night. You know, these people are coming out the week of Christmas. You know, what time to do an evangelistic series? Um, you know, I don't know if any of our evangelists have done an evangelistic series on the week of Christmas. Uh, but uh, this, was, uh, this was that week, and Christmas Eve was Friday night. We encouraged them to come for frontal lobe enhancing music for the season. One of the advantages of doing it with the Guthries uh, and with our sons is you could get plenty of frontal lobe enhancing music. Uh, come for a frontal lobe enhancing exercise. We were going to have an exercise that would enhance the frontal lobe and we told them we know it's Christmas Eve, most of you can't come, but if you can, please come. Uh, those individuals, the 20 some individuals, virtually all of them said we would very much like to come but we think our families um, won't let us and there were those that thought they were going to come and they told us, that they even called us uh, to let us know that they couldn't come because uh, their families actually physically prevented them uh, <laughs> from coming to that meeting on Christmas Eve. But there were three individuals who came. Uh, and uh, broke away from their families to come to uh, that Christmas Eve event. And after the music, uh, the seasonal music, um, we read just verse by verse out of the Bible and discussed it. And it was the story of the shepherds keeping their flocks by night. We went into what does that mean? They mentioned about if they were doing that at night and day, it's obvious that they had a strong work ethic. Uh, we went into the evidence that they were studying Bible prophecy, those shepherds, and that's why they were interested about Christ's coming. And then they heard the greatest music ever heard. Can you imagine how much that ticket price would be? If you knew the greatest music ever heard, you know, you could charge whatever you wanted and people would pay for that and come, but those shepherds didn't have to pay a dime for it. They heard the greatest music ever heard, wonderful choral music. 
Uh, I would have loved to have heard it. Frontal lobe enhancing music. Uh, then they risked their jobs to see the infant Jesus after that. With their strong work ethic, their priorities were still straight. And their spiritual priorities took preference over their work ethic. And then the parallel was drawn. Those who are ready for Christ's first coming will have the same attributes as those who are ready for his glorious return. They'll all have strong work ethics. They'll be studying Bible prophecy and their priorities will be straight because their jobs will be secondary in importance to their spiritual health. And uh, it, was, uh, it was great uh, participating in this. And uh, uh, before we close, just one other Ellen White quote that I didn't give them. The Lord has given man capacity for what type of improvement? Continual, Continual improvement has granted him all possible aid in the work. Through the provisions of divine grace, we may attain almost to the excellence of the angels. That's what we can obtain. And by entering this room tonight, you have all entered the biggest room in the world, the room for improvement. <laughs> and uh, we do indeed have the, that capacity for continual uh, improvement. And I would encourage uh, each one of you uh, to not only do this in yourselves, enhancing your IQ, enhancing your EQ, she says we ought to study human nature, but also consider even on your vacations. I was thinking right here in Hilton Head. Uh, we flew into the little, uh, with our little bonanza in Hilton Head and within five minutes that we were there, three private jets took off. Uh, and so there's a lot of opportunity right here in reaching um, the very wealthy. Uh, instead of just going on a regular golf trip, particularly when it's family, you know, of course there's pros and cons of doing this. You know, one of the things uh, my office manager pointed out, the con, didn't you have less time to hang out with your family as a result of this? And, uh, you know, we had less hangout time per se, but I can tell you the hangout time we did have was pretty exciting as people were telling their stories of uh, how the brochure was being accepted. Uh, the, whether the people were going to come and some of the rejection uh, that they got as well. Are you kidding? I'm going to go to enhance my IQ. I came here to drink alcohol and as soon as I'm off of this slope, I'm going to uh, basically uh, get snowed uh, is what some of them would say, et cetera, and some of the response back and forth. And you could, uh, that type of uh, a family mission project and several families coming together uh, actually result in, in something more enhancing often than just hanging out with your family, as wonderful as that is, don't get me wrong, I love to hang out with our boys and family and to just um, put our feet up in the fire and, and uh, just have a grand time with them and catch up, et cetera. Uh, but when you, uh, uh, when you look at the pros of what can happen, uh, with really um, the same amount of time and often uh, very little extra money that's being done, we can be a witness uh, even at our uh, vacation time and be uh, uh, the avenue of enhancing lives throughout the country. What happened with these wealthy people? There was no charge for the event and we had nothing for sale uh, at the event. Uh, and they were wondering, they all were expecting a catch of some sort. And they said, why are you doing this? I mean, this is your vacation time. Why are you doing this? And taking time out to, to teach us, we love it. I mean, we're very glad that you did, but why did you do it? And they recognized the, that altruistic love uh, aspect of things at work 
and they saw an interpretation of the gospel uh, that they, uh, they might not have been able to see uh, in other ways. So uh, that's uh, uh, what I was uh, asked to talk about uh, tonight. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.